Good afternoon, and welcome to TerraTech's third quarter 2017 financial results conference call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and will be archived on the investor relations section of the TerraTech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, TerraTech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factors section of our SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note, as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today, and management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, TerraTech's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand the call over to Derek. Hey, Phil, thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you, everybody. There's a few hundred people on the call today as we go through and discuss TerraTech's 2017 third quarter results and provide an operational and business update. Tonight on the call we have uh, Mike James, CFO. He'll be doing a little bit of a deeper, deeper dive uh, a few minutes in the call uh, and go through the financials in a little bit more detail. Let me start off with a quick summary though. This quarter we uh, surpassed a little over 10 million in revenue for the third quarter. That's a 46% increase compared to the prior quarter over the prior year. At this is the first time also we've reported a double digit in, in terms of quarterly revenue, which we're pretty excited about obviously. In the cannabis segment, most importantly, we saw 82% year-over-year revenue growth. And as we've promised, I think probably over the last four quarters, as we've been focusing on gross margin expansion, we had another, another quarter of increased gross margin expansion as we increased gross margins to 23% compared with 18% in Q3 2016 and 19% in Q2 2017. Ending the year with strong momentum as we enter the holiday season, which is typically associated to higher sales in the cannabis industry. Let me jump into Nevada real quick. Um, I know everybody's really interested with adult use kicking off in July. That was actually our first complete quarter with all of our dispensaries running at full steam with adult use in Nevada. We had you know, a lot of exciting developments out of Nevada marketplace. As I said, adult use commenced July 1st. That was really kind of a turning point for the company as it opened up our total addressable market significantly. Prior to that, obviously, we had medical sales in Nevada and we had the Oakland facility up and running, but the market was small, the medical program was still developing, and now this gave us a huge opportunity and dropped the barriers to entry to access cannabis within the state. During August 2017, we also acquired a 38% ownership in Metafarm, which was our subsidiary there. Um, some of you remember we had a majority ownership position, uh, position but not a full ownership position. Pr previously, the company owned 60%. So as of September 30th, 2017, the company now has 98% ownership of the Metafarm subsidiary. Retail operations, as I said, adult use sales at an early stage, but we're really pleased with the traction that Nevada has made out of the gate. Um, talking about Colorado, you saw Colorado come out of the gate with several hundred million in, in top-line revenue. That number crossed a billion, then went to a billion, too. We think there's going to be that very similar stair-step type of a mentality and progress coming out of the Nevada marketplace as that industry has an opportunity to mature. Uh, on the retail operation side, as I said, uh, you know, Bloom, we've put a lot of attention to detail on the, uh, on the retail endeavor. We wanted to ultimately develop a kind of a homogenized approach to our retail facilities, which is something, and I've said this on past calls, this is something that's really been lacking in the cannabis industry, specifically in California and Nevada, which is a new marketplace. We're one of the only industries that I can think of in, in, in the world where somebody can go in one month and then go in the next month, order the same product, and have an entirely different experience, an entirely different product. 
We wanted to solve that for customers. So when you come in, we have very similar menu boards. We have very similar product offerings. Our, our bud tender staff is trained in a similar manner. So your customer experience is going to be consistent and congruent month in, month out, location by location by location. And in addition to that, our stores have a very familiar look and feel. I'm sure a lot of shareholders have been in our markets in, in multiple states. And uh, we use the same color pla- palettes, the same flooring, the same lighting fixtures, and those are the type of things that kind of assimilate that, that brand adherence and that brand identity, which is really what we put a tremendous amount of effort into. On the cultivation extraction side, uh, to support the increased demand for cannabis products throughout Nevada, we expanded our cultivation and production fil- facilities, as some of you have read through a joint venture with New Leaf. New Leaf Sparks holds a Nevada medical cannabis cultivation license and is the process of constructing a 30,000-square-foot cannabis cultivation facility in Sparks. And then also in conjunction with that, New Leaf Reno holds a Nevada medical cannabis production license for extracts. We're in the process of constructing an approximately 15,000-square-foot cannabis production facility in Reno as well. We expect to start ramping production of the Ivex brands and also introducing some additional brands in the Nevada marketplace, but also producing flour and other products for our retail stores. The reason we entered into this transaction was not to only have the partnership with New Leaf, which are experienced providers in both the Nevada and California marketplace, but they were close to they were a lot closer to finishing the facility than we were of ours. So the, the deal that we had essentially entered into provided us access to the 30,000 square foot cultivation facility and a 15,000 square foot laboratory facility to produce the extracts. These facilities should be online in the next 60 days or so. We should be able to meet the recreational licensing requirements, and that gave us a huge head start from our greenfield builds where we were uh, pursuing earlier on at a far lesser cost. I think we saved close to about $7 million of what our CapEx would have been going this route. So we saved capital, you know, took some pressure off uh, the shareholders, but at the same time accelerated entry into the marketplace. And again, although initially, you know, Ibex was kind of a medical, was, was there to service the medical markets, for those of you who have seen the brands, if you haven't, look at www.ivxx.com. You'll get a feel. The brands are really kind of recreational in spirit, and I think they're going to be really applicable not only in the Nevada marketplace, but also the California marketplace coming into January 2018. So speaking of California, we expect a favorable market conditions and continue to try to accelerate our growth within the California market. Adult use sales are expected to come online in 2018. Legal sales in the state are expected to hit $5.8 billion by 2021, according to ArcView Market Research, up from an estimated $1.8 billion last year. So the thing about California, we have a very developed medical marijuana market here. It's two decades old, and it, it really reduced the barriers to entry because a lot of people could get cards for a lot of different concerns. So there was a very developed and significant medical market here. What the adult use recreational actually provides is it mitigates and reduces the barriers to entry for anybody that's over the age of 21 to get access. They don't have to go to the doctor. They don't have to get the medical cards. They can literally walk into the storefront, show their license, and procure product. We think that drop in barrier to entry to, 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 to be able to purchase products is going to create a significant uptick in sales. Again, with 40 million people occupying the state and another 250 million tourists that come into California on an annual basis, we think it's the largest market, the largest cannabis market in the, in, on the globe. And again, it's the fifth or sixth largest economy on the planet. So to position ourselves for that, we're doing a few different things. Obviously, we're operating a, a retail dispensary in the Oakland marketplace. In addition to that, again, we're operating a dispensary in the Santa Ana marketplace, the one that we just purchased previously known as the Reserve. That, that transaction happened in September, and it's beginning to now starting to contribute revenue into this quarter, but not for the prior quarter. So there's a nice piece of organic growth coming in from that 
merger and acquisition, which, uh, which we just consummated. We've rebranded that store as Bloom. So walking into the cannabis market in 2018, the recreational cannabis market, we have our facility up in Northern California and Oakland. We have retail traction down here in a very important market in Southern California. And again, we'll be opening our Bloom uh, dispensary in San Leandro, which we expect to open in early 2018, which will also service the adult use as well as the medical market as well. Cultivation and extraction. One of the other things we're attempting to do in the California marketplace is expand our cultivation footprint and expand our extraction laboratory footprint, again, to produce more IVXX products, produce more product for our stores. Again, reducing margins and increasing gross profit is obviously a primary focus for us. So we've invested in these California production facilities. We want to be able to pivot to meet demand in the adult use markets as they commence in early 2018. During the third quarter, we signed a second craft cultivator to enable us to expand our production. Cultivar, located in Salinas, California, has approved up to six acres, approximately about 244,000 square feet of canopy. Um, will be grown in a high-tech climate-controlled greenhouse. We've already received 1,000 pounds from our Humboldt craft cultivator uh, partnership that we established earlier in the year. And then again, our new cultivation facility in Oakland, California, is expected to be fully operational in, in mid-2018. So we're rapidly expanding that cultivation footprint, not only with facilities that we own and operate, but by partnering with, with craft cultivators that do an excellent job growing a handful of proprietary strains. And what's happening, just stand in the California marketplace, it's been a very, I guess, a gray market, for lack of a better analogy, what I mean by that is you have a lot of producers that were very skilled in growing product, cultivating product, distributing product, or selling product, but they don't necessarily have the infrastructure to comply with a higher degree of regulation. And the regulation that's coming down the pipeline in California is extremely significant. So a lot of these providers are getting very worried about the compliance and regulatory backbone and hurdles that they have to surmount on top of having to run their business. We have a significant compliance backbone. Obviously, we're a publicly traded company, so from that alone, we have a significant regulatory and compliance backbone. But we've put a lot of effort and energy in developing our government relations, our compliance backbone, our compliance network. And so now we're establishing partnerships with these cultivators who are worried about adapting to these regulations and offering up to provide our compliance backbone and allowing them to do what they do, which is grow, cultivate, extract premium products and premium strains that we can lock down to have exclusivity with to provide to our patients. So that's one of our other growth me mechanisms on top of our organic growth of building our own facilities out. New Jersey, uh, for those of you that are back east, uh, we know on Tuesday we had an election for a new governor in New Jersey. Phil Murphy was leading in the polls significantly for most of the race. Uh, he was elected as the new governor of the state. So what does that mean for TerraTech? Murphy has said several times, not only is he in support of expanded medical, but he's also in support of recreational and adult use legalization in New Jersey. That's something we're not going to see out of New York, I think, for an extended period of time. So I think that is going to be an opportunity for a significant market for us. Our, we've already started a lobbying effort. We've already started hiring attorneys. We've already started to communicate with the political leaders as they go and through and begin to shape the legislative and regulatory um, process. We want to make sure we have a voice in terms of zoning and taxation and those types of very important functions that exist for, uh, for operators in the space. And we've said this since day one. You know, the reason we built that farming facility back out in New Jersey at first was a hedge, and that was a hedge at a time where we were a little bit insecure about the longevity of the market. That was before Holder and Obama had come out. 
and started to kind of give support or at least take a hands-off approach to the industry. And so we developed that as a hedge, which ended up being very synergistic for us. And I've said a few times that was, I think, one of the reasons we were so successful in the permitting and application process in Nevada, because the optics of the large-scale farming operations, the USDA organic status, the GFSI certifications, and those types of things gave a tremendous amount of comfort for us as an operator. But now that backbone, I think, is going to become very important for us as New Jersey goes through this regulatory and legislative process and starts to adapt, or I should say adopt, uh, regulations around adult use. We've got an infrastructure there, strong political relationships. We've been a very large employer. All those things are very important when you're going through the competition process, and we're going to use that farm as an opportunity to stand out. So speaking of Edible Garden as our next topic, as we've also advanced our plans to grow market share in the cannabis market, we're also experiencing success at Edible Garden. We saw improved gross profits, which are up 11% compared to Q3 2016, and gross profit margins improved to 17% in Q3 2017 versus 10% in Q3 2016. We're continuing to launch new product lines, such as Snippets, which is our small um, uh, herb line uh, that we launched this quarter. This will allow us to leverage our existing client base to generate more sales that we can push through our existing channels. We're midway through Q4, which tends to be our busiest season for Edible Garden as we come into the holiday season. And we've also increased our infrastructure for use of our space. We're building out a pack house so we can begin to cut and enter the cut herb market and the cut lettuce market, which is a significant market piece. And again, we've now begun to migrate our brand out to other markets, not only in the Midwest and the Northeast, but we have an eye to the West Coast starting off in California through some strategic cultivation relationships we have out here, making an entrance to Aldi and some other retailers in California as well. At this point in time, I'd like to turn the call over to our CFO, Mike James, uh, to kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive into the financials. Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I, I will now provide you with a summary of our third quarter 2017 results. For the more detailed results, Please refer to the press release we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with the Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including the non-operating expenses. For the three months ended September 30, 2017, we generated revenues of $10.12 million compared to $6.95 million for the three months ended September 30, 2016 an increase of $3.17 million, or 45.6%. The increase was driven by sales in the cannabis segment, which increased 81.8% due to higher sales from the company's four Nevada-based bloom dispensaries. It was partially offset by the lower sales from Edible Garden due to, due to the discontinuation of its lower-margin floral products. Our gross profit for the three months ended September 30, 2017, was $2.33 million compared to a gross profit of $1.26 million for the three months ended September 30, 2016, an increase of $1.08 million, or 85.9%. Our gross margin percent for the three months ended September 30, 2017, was 23.1% compared to 18.1% for the three months ended September 30, 2016. The increase in gross margin percentage was attributable to Edible Gardens, Herbs, and Produce segment, which had 240000 and 217000 gross profit for the three months ended September 30th, 2017, and 2016, respectively, or 16.8% and 10.2% gross margin percentage for the three months ended September 30th, 2017, and 2016, respectively. 
The herbs and produce segment gross margin percentage increase was related to the expiration of the floral product contract. We also reported higher margins in the cannabis segment, which had 2.08 million and 1.02 million gross profit for the three months ended September 30th, 2017 and 2016 respectively, or 24% and 21.4% gross margin percentage for the three months ended September 30th, 2017 and 2016 respectively. Selling general and administrative expenses for the three months ended September 30th, 2017 were 6.24 million compared to 5.94 million for the three months ended September 30th, 2016, an increase of 295,000 or 5%. The increase was partially due to an increase in the salaries due to the new hires with the Bloom dispensaries and an increase in accounting and compliance personnel costs. Other expenses include an increase in depreciation expense due to the fixed assets placed in service for the Nevada dispensaries. We realized a net loss of $7.79 million, or one cent per share for the three months ended September 30, 2017, compared to a net loss of $5.59 million, or two cents per share for the three months ended September 30, 2016. The primary reason for the loss for the increase was a loss on the fair market valuation of derivatives of $1.48 million and a loss on the extinguishment of debt of $1.37 million from the conversion of debt into equity. Now turning to the balance sheet, on September 30, 2017, we had a cash balance of approximate $6.65 million compared to a cash balance of approximate $9.75 million at December 31, 2016. We had no short-term debt as of September 30, 2017, compared to approximately 564000 as of December 31, 2016. Long-term debt increased from approximately $1.4 million to approximately $2.1 million during the first nine months of 2017. Stockholders' equity for the 2017 amounted to approximately $75.8 million compared to $52.2 million as of December 31st, 2016. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for some closing comments. Mike, thanks for the update, I appreciate it. Um, so again, in summary, in the third quarter, the cannabis segment contributed 86% of total revenue. Our strong revenue growth validates kind of the strategy that we've put together to date. We wanna, again, reaffirm guidance for the year of 38 to 40 million. And we've got a major opportunity right now to grow the business, and we're always on the lookout for new opportunities. And some of them just fall into our lap kind of because we skated where we thought the puck would be, and New Jersey is a great example of that. We uh, filed a patent application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for cannabis-infused rolling papers, trying to put some differentiated products out in the marketplace that give us some competitive advantage. And we're going to continue to make improvements to our corporate governance, as we've promised. We've recently appointed Alan Gladstone as an advisor to the company. For those of you who haven't read that press release, Alan started a company called Anna's Linens. They had approximately 350 retail stores around the country doing over $400 million in revenue. He's going to be a strategic advisor to the company and create opportunities for us to kind of uh, synergize with our multiple locations, establish economies of scale and certain efficiencies and 
you know, provide some, I guess, you know, real boots on the ground experience that uh, we don't have building out a large scale retail chain. So that's going to be a, a huge opportunity for us to get uh, more efficient in our, re- our approach to retail. These, all these steps kind of combined are to ensure shareholders' interest as we always represented. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we got rid of our preferred B shares earlier this year. All of the executives for company, the uh, insiders for the company, own common shares. And that was a big effort for us to align our interest with shareholders across the board to make sure we're all in the same boat. We care about the stock price. We care about the success of the company. We're really encouraged this quarter by the strong results that we reported. And we want to, again, continue to grow the business. I'd like to thank not only our auditors, MGO, for their hard work on this quarter. Mike, you and your full auditing team have put a tremendous amount of effort. I'd like to thank the board of directors, the 260-plus employees that, uh, that we pay every, uh, every two weeks and put food on their table for the efforts that they've put back on us to create the company that we have today. At this time, I'd like to open up to question, questions and answers, turn the, back, the call back over to Phil, and uh, we'll run through any questions that shareholders have uh, submitted earlier in the week. Thank you, Derek. Uh, first question, what other states do you foresee legalizing and what forecast do you project going forward? Oh, other states. I mean, well, obviously Jersey is going to be the most important, right? I mean, it, things are starting to snowball and things are starting to accelerate. If you start to read some of the news that's come out recently, I mean, you're starting to see the majority of Americans support regular, a regulated cannabis market. I think the most recent Gallup poll showed that the majority of Republicans are starting to support it. Um, you know, this news is beginning to disseminate. The, the, the industry is starting to get some momentum behind it and some real capital behind it. And I think because of that, you're going to start to see more and more states begin to take a risk to broach adult use and recreational legalization. The tax collection has been a huge, uh, huge positive result. The job creation has been a huge positive. And we're not seeing those kind of systemic social negative impacts that everybody's been clamoring about because the data just isn't showing it. We're not seeing an increase in teen use. We're not seeing an increase in crime. So we're starting to see overall a positive result with this industry. And I think that's just going to push more and more uh, economies around the country to start looking at adapting legislation. Listen, our, our industry isn't like any other industry. We are legislated and mandated to do business in the U.S. From seed to sale, there are not very many companies that can say that. You know, we don't have the luxury of, of creating product in China or South America, importing it in. The jobs that we create in this industry are not only U.S. jobs, they are really local jobs. So the, you talk about this economic thing called the multiplier effect, and what the multiplier effect essentially is is when somebody comes and spends a dollar in the local economy, is how many times does that dollar then recycle itself? In this industry, it's significant because we employ local people. Those local people take the money that we pay them. They go eat at local restaurants, go to local gas stations, and those dollars recirculate. And those are dollars we're no longer sending over the border to Mexico and to South America to fuel the infrastructure build in the, in the illegal drug trade. These are dollars that are staying in the country. And I think legislators are really beginning to wrap their head around that. And that will open up additional markets, especially when they start to feel and realize from our perch, there's re-election risk for them not supporting some format of tax and regulation as it pertains to cannabis. Okay, next question. Uh, congratulations on the recent M&A transactions in preparation for California recreational sales. How do you feel TerraTech is positioned for this new market? What gaps still exist? And when do you anticipate filling them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're positioned really well. I want to have some more brick-and-mortar retail spots open uh, in the first part of the year. So I want L.A. Uh, L.A. is an important market to us. L.A. has been a mess from a regulatory standpoint, so we've kind of sat on the sidelines to see how everything shakes out. We didn't want to risk shareholders' capital going into a marketplace with an uncertain regulatory climate, but that's something that's kind of on the forefront. So if we can have the Bay Area coverage, Southern California coverage, L.A. and San Diego are the next kind of two important markets in California. And then, obviously, coupled with broader distribution on the IVEX wholesale line so we can cover all markets. So that's what's the most important to us. We have great coverage in Nevada from Reno to the Vegas Strip, so you can't really drive down the street without running into a billboard or one of our signs. Um, so we want to have similar coverage in California. Obviously, the geographic landscape's a lot more significant, but with some creative M&A strategies, I think we can get there. And again, going back to what I said during the call, Phil, is this compliance and regulatory burden that's coming downstream in 2018 is really becoming a catalyst for M&A activity. I haven't seen as many outbound or, say, inbound phone calls and inbound inquiries uh, in, in the past that I've seen over the last four or five months. So we, you know, we've got a pretty good pipeline full right now of interested parties. Some of the valuation metrics are off the charts. But, you know, that being said, we're seeing a healthy amount of activity for people that are interested in putting deals together. And that's, you know, that's kind of, like I said, one of the primary motivations of our platform. Uh, in addition to that, you know, Santa Ana, where, we're, where we hold the dispensary now, is uh, meeting next, uh, I think it's on the 21st, to vote on issuing additional permits. So not only are we, you know, running a retail dispensary, but because we're an existing operator, we should have some semblance of preferential treatment to obtain cultivation and extraction permits and distribution permits and potentially other retail permits in Santa Ana. And the beauty about Santa Ana and Southern California for those of you who don't know the demographics, it's relatively conservative down here. And a lot of the other local areas like Newport Beach and Laguna Beach and Irvine and the surrounding areas are just not going to pass like any, any amount of legislation anytime soon. Santa Ana really has the op same opportunity that the Bay Area has had in Northern California to set themselves apart as a cannabis industry hub or a cannabis industry leader. So establishing a significant presence down here on top of the retail dispensary that we also acquired is a huge, huge uh, focus of ours because we think not only are we going to attract the potential sales and revenue extracted out of the Santa Ana marketplace, there's a significant opportunity for us to grab market share from all these surrounding areas. And, and, and coupled with that, real brand penetration on our wholesale line as well as our retail line. Okay. <clears throat> Can you provide an update on key drivers of the timing of the reverse split, which passed in the most recent proxy voting? Is that something we should anticipate in the near term or closer to the September 25th, 2018 expiration date? Yeah, I mean, we've said a ton of times. I'm not just going to reverse split for the, for the, you know, for the sport of it, I guess this is the, for lack of a better term. You know, we'll, we, we will conduct a reverse, obviously, to get it up to the NASDAQ or to go up on some other exchange. You know, if there was a large merger on the table where the acquiree uh, or, the, or the other party, you know, wanted a higher stock price or potentially a large, uh, non-dilutive, attractive capital uh, infusion uh, was out there and it was mandated that there was a reverse. So those are kind of the only, I would just do it because of a catalyst and that, that, that had a bigger purpose that, uh, that gave us some sort of a benefit but not just for the purpose of, you know, wanting to see a 3 or $4 stock price. There's just no reason to do that. So we wanted to put that in the vote the last shareholder meeting so that it was a tool that's available to us so we didn't have to be reactive if any one of those events happens to take place. 
now that we've got that vote done, at least to the end of this next year, September of next year, we have that arrow in our quiver. And uh, if we need to use it, we have the ability to use it. But as we sit right now, we, have, we don't have any plans to do it on any, any um, regular basis. But if there is a catalyst out there that mandates or demands it, or if there's a, there's a competitive advantage for us doing that, we'll certainly utilize that tool. Okay. Does Terratech Management have a goal to be cash flow positive in markets that become more established like Nevada? If so, when? I, that, that's a huge focus. So, I, you know, growing top-line revenue, significant focus. Gross margin expansion, significant focus. And then the third significant focus is when we bring in these acquisitions or we develop these companies organically, once we hit, you know, some revenue run rate, we really then go in and start to tweak efficiency. So step number one, grab market share. Step number two, start to lean out operations and show improved gross margins. Start to focus on being EBITDA positive and being cash flow positive at the subsidiary level. You know, we have to do things that a lot of these other smaller companies don't have to do. We need to have a regulatory department, as I discussed earlier. So we need to have a department that can go after and, and excuse me, isolate new permit opportunities to compete for those permits, put the applications together, meet with government people, address, you know, legal issues, you know, work with the regulators, start to change bills in certain markets. Uh, at the same time, we need to make sure that that department is monitoring uh, ongoing uh, legislative and regulatory uh, requirements, make sure our, our facilities are operating within those regulations so we don't put our existing permits at risk. Uh, we're a lot like a financial company, right, or a, an investment bank or a, or a brokerage house that has a compliance department. We've really had to establish a very similar infrastructure. It's kind of compliance first, sales second. That's one of the burdens and unfortunate sides of being part of a highly regulated marketplace, but that's what comes along with the ending of the prohibition. So at a corporate level, we're constantly adding infrastructure, and we're adding infrastructure so we can go out and grab more market share. But the primary focus for us is once we grab that market share and we bring it in-house, is to really bring in economies of scale and start to lean out our operations, you know, doing little things like pooling our buying in California now that we've got you know, multiple locations, pooling our buying in Nevada, you know, exercising our purchasing power to get discounts, you know, these little 1% moves. Alan is, you know, the minute he joined the board, uh, the advisory board, he just said 1% moves, 1% here, 1% there. Those little changes are, are extremely surmountable, and that's what our focus is from a management standpoint when we go in and start to lean out these operations. So in a perfect world, once we bring these companies in or once we grow these companies and get them running and uh, into operating efficiencies, like I said, we then go in and try to lean out the operations to extract as much cash flow. The more cash flow we can pull out means the less capital we have to raise in the open marketplace, which is, means less shares we have to issue, which means less dilution overall. So we are focused on that at the subsidiary level, and then at some point in time when we decide we've hit enough market saturation in the company, obviously our objective at that point in time is to lean out operations across the board and start showing net income. But as we sit right now, we are scrambling for permits, we are scrambling for market share, because eventually, you know, as we saw with Constellation Brands and their investment in the Canadian marketplace, the big boys are interested, and uh, we need to make sure that we look attractive or we can stand on our own, whatever our future happens to bear. But we want to make sure we're certainly developing strong fundamental economics within the company. Is it possible for Terratech to list on one of the Canadian stock exchanges? Is there any benefit to doing so, or is the board of directors focused on U.S. exchanges such as the New York Stock Exchange and or NASDAQ? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly have looked at the Canadian opportunity, um, and I've used this analogy probably too many times, but like I said, we, uh, we are a skate where we think the puck's going to be 
type management team, not where it is. And I believe that puck's in Canada right now. But if you look at what's taking place up there in the public market segment, you've got, you know, basically federal legalization. Because you have federal legalization, you have the big firms like Dundee and Canaccord coming in and doing these fully bought deals and these underwritings for these companies. And you've seen unbelievable market cap expansion and the ability to raise capital in these marketplaces. For that, and that's the Canadian market. And that Canadian market is less than, I think, what we're going to see out of the California market. The U.S. is where, it is, where it's at. That's where the longevity in this marketplace is. That's where the consumer demand is. That's where the significant revenue is. If we have to wait three, four, five more years to get up on an exchange because the federal government's just not ready for it, we're going to continue to build the company. But we want the market cap expansion of being one of the first, if not the first company that touches the plan on the NASDAQ or the NYSE. We want that institutional investment. We want that associated market cap expansion. Canopy Growth's got a $2.9 billion market cap and I think their full year 2017, uh, uh, they're, on a, they're on a fiscal year, uh, top-line revenue was $38.5 million. That's right within you know, where we are from a, from a forecast standpoint. And we've got a $200-and-something million-dollar market cap. There's, to me, and to, from our perch, nothing but upside over the long haul. We'll leverage that when we get to it. But, you know, I don't want to skate where, I, where the puck is now. I know it's eventually going to return down here. The demand's here. The market's here. The, uh, the, 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 the legislative development is here, but to get up on the exchange, I think we're going to see, need to see some semblance of federal movement. I don't know that that's going to happen in the short run, but that being said, when it does happen, I believe it's going to be explosive, and I want to make sure that we're embedded, and I want to make sure that we're positioned, and I want to make sure our company stands out over everybody else's. Okay. What is the square footage and conservative production capacity of the cultivation facilities currently being constructed in Nevada once fully functional and estimated timelines for that? Uh, yeah, so we have 30,000 square feet in terms of the new leaf deal um, that will be coming online and called the next couple months or so, and then 15,000 square foot on the production facility side. We also have another set of permits up in Spanish Springs, so we're beginning to move forward on that as well. We're going to develop a greenhouse facility in Spanish Springs for a couple reasons. Um, we have the indoor facility in Reno that we did the partnership with New Leaf. We're going to do the production of the greenhouse facility also in partnership with New Leaf. That facility, you know, could be upwards of two to two and a half, maybe even three acres of greenhouse space. That affords us a competitive advantage, not only because the cost of production in greenhouses, you know, one-third to one-half of what it is on an indoor facility, which helps margin expansion, helps us become more competitive against our peers by having lower cost of goods, but it produces an extremely significant amount of biomass. And you talk to any one of the extract companies in Nevada, you talk to one of any one of the extract companies in California, it is challenging for them to find enough source material to produce extracts. That used to be waste material, and now everybody's chasing after it, especially clean product that doesn't have salt or, you know, chemical residuals and those types of things found in it. So we want to make sure we have the ability to not only produce enough flour for our retail facilities and our wholesale marketplace, but enough biomass so we can produce enough concentrates and oils and extracts because that is one of the biggest drivers, and edibles, one of the biggest drivers in the Nevada marketplace because you can't smoke everywhere, are edibles and vaporizing products because of the discretion associated with them. So the greenhouse expansion, whether we build two or three acres, will be significant for us to complement the indoor facility. So we'll end up at the end of the day with an indoor facility, large-scale greenhouse facility, and a production facility where we have an extreme amount of biomass and feedstock to be able to produce our concentrate brands. 
So we're very well positioned in Nevada um, over some time. We have stuff coming online, like I said, in the next couple months. And then on the backbone of that, it usually takes us about nine months or so to build out a greenhouse facility from our experience in New Jersey. And I think we can execute that extremely quickly on the uh, cultivation side in Nevada as well, Phil. Okay. Did TerraTech suffer any losses as a result of damages from the recent wildfires in California? Now, fortunately, we did not. We have our craft cultivator in, in Salinas, our craft cultivator in Humboldt, our facilities in Oakland. Uh, we made a trip up there. It's heartbreaking what took place to a lot of these people. And this is, you know, this just ties into this frustration over our industry not having access to basic financial services, whether it's banking, but in this situation, more importantly, insurance, crop insurance, facility insurance, umbrella policies. There's a lot of these cultivators that, and just so people understand how these people live their life, you know, they, 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 they will literally dump their life savings into producing their crop. They'll produce their crop. This is harvest season right now. They'll reap the rewards of that. They'll take their profits out. They'll feed their family. They'll reinvest the rest in the next year's season. This, 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 these fires have affected uh, you know, not only the industry, but you know, their homes and their residential neighborhoods and those types of things. So it was catastrophic for a lot of people in the industry across the board. But again, it's, it's just one of those things that ties back into this industry needs access and deserves access to fair and equitable financial services like every other business. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it was a problem for a lot of people. Fortunately, uh, we were not affected. Okay. Uh, what is Terratech currently doing to help change both federal and state laws regarding the legal use of both medical and recreational use of cannabis? Uh, a huge line item for us from a corporate standpoint is our lobbying government affairs efforts, you know, both on the, on the local level as well as the federal level. So a lot of that just, you know, is, is a bifurcated approach. You know, partially we, you know, work with legislators and regulators to understand the nuances of the industry, the operational hurdles, things that would make things more efficient, tax, gross tax receipts, the things that are important to us as operators so we can have longevity in the industry as well as, you know, social equity programs and those types of things, uh, minority programs, um, you know, just really working with, like, you know, boots on the ground with legislators and regulators so they can adopt responsible legislation. I've said this forever. Responsible legislation equals responsible business. Responsible business equals good economics for their local communities. And we just try to really repeat that through, you know, multiple channels and on a federal standpoint as well. And then obviously we leverage the media. So when we talk to the media, we constantly repeat and regurgitate those messages so people can begin to understand what our industry is all about. You know, there's a, still a negative connotation that exists on the cannabis industry, and it's just been you know, a huge byproduct of that dissemination and that misinformation campaign during the Say No to Drugs era. And we've got a little bit of that you know, in today's marketplace, unfortunately. But California coming online, being the you know, fifth or sixth largest economy on the planet, the largest cannabis market in the, in the world, is going to not only be a significant economic boon and a pivoting point for the industry, but the data that's going to come out of California is going to have a huge opportunity to really change the paradigm and the connotation associated with our industry. So UCI announced that they are established, or the University of California, Irvine, backed by the UC system, announced a interdisciplinary school of research. Uh, we're involved with that, uh, and in addition, they, uh, they are putting together a, uh, an incubator as well, um, so they're very entrenched on researching multiple aspects of the cannabis industry from economic and fiscal impacts all the way to, you know, medical efficacy and everything in between. The importance of that is you have an unbiased 
uh, research institute pushing information out into the industry based upon data that's coming out of the California marketplace. So you're going to see a tremendous amount of data over the next years uh, to come out, which will, I think will really reaffirm the positive stance of legalization, taxing, regulating, job creation, the economic benefits, the fact that, again, this industry is unlike any other industry that exists out there. It's American jobs. It is local jobs. It's across the board, seed to sale. This doesn't get outsourced. That is one of the most compelling arguments for American ingenuity that I have seen in my generation. And I think it's just a matter of time before our legislators really begin to understand that California will be a huge opportunity. Okay. Has there been any thoughts into moving, in moving into New Jersey? And if so, could you provide us with the future outlook for the state? Also, has there been any thoughts about moving into the East Coast in any way? Uh, yes on Jersey, and last time I checked, Jersey is on the East Coast, so yes to both of those. Um, listen, Jersey's the Garden State, and, you know, they've been under the leadership of Chris Christie, right, wrong, or indifferent. He wasn't a fan of, uh, of cannabis. Murphy uh, is, a, is a great leader. He has a huge, huge appetite for legalization and, and you know, and developing the economics around that within the state. So we are absolutely 110% focused on establishing a significant footprint in New Jersey. And if we can replicate what we've done in Nevada and California out there, I think it's going to be a huge pivot point for the company for top-line revenue and uh, you know, further expansion of brand recognition as well. So, yeah, that's our primary motivation right now. We don't, you know, I've said this a billion times, we don't want to jump into too many states. Remember, every state that I have to jump into and the team has to jump into here, we've got to develop a corporate office. We have to hire lobbyists. We have to hire attorneys. We have to put staff there. We have to have IT there. All of that costs money. We have the biggest market in our backyard here in California. We have a gargantuan market 40 minutes away in a flight in, Los, in Nevada. And then we already have a significant infrastructure in New Jersey. So before we start jumping out and attacking all these other states, I want to make sure we grab the low-hanging fruit off the tree and we do so effectively and efficiently. So that's our, that's our next major market right now is Jersey. We're going to hit the ground running hard. We've already been doing work over the last few months there, and we want to make sure that we, again, set ourselves apart, establish a significant infrastructure, and, uh, and then establish the IBEX and Bloom brands uh, back to the East Coast. Our next question, is the company looking at potential M&A activities in California and Nevada? How about nationally? Uh, yeah, all of the above. You know, Nevada, we're capped out, in, in especially in the Clark County, where there's a 10% uh, limit. My understanding is Nevada may be issuing additional permits, and those additional permits will only be open to existing MME license holders, which is great, so we can kind of keep pace with market saturation in terms of our percentage ownership in the space. California, again, because of the regulations coming down the pipeline, we think that's going to force a tremendous amount of M&A and consolidation activity. Um, we have, you know, kind of a unique benefit on top of most companies. Obviously, we have significant access to capital because of our S3 shelf registration. But coupled with that, you know, we have liquidity in our stock. So the last deal we did in Santa Ana was part cash, part stock. So we've got a huge opportunity to not only leverage our cash position, our access to capital, uh, but we have a huge opportunity to leverage our stock and bring people along for the ride and affect uh, you know, a successful M&A strategy. So we are heavily focused on M&A. We're heavily focused on more organic permitting processes here in Santa Ana. Our hope is that we walk out of additional permits on the cultivation uh, side for recreational as well as extraction before year end and potentially another uh, storefront location. So we're excited about the prospects of that as well. But, yeah, have a focus on M&A, California, Nevada. Now 
nationally, I'll reiterate what I just said a minute ago, which is, you know, yes, uh, but in New Jersey is our primary focus on the East Coast. And then we'll see where we want to go after that. But again, we don't want to get out over our skis and uh, do a partial job in each, in many locations. We'd rather do an effective job in a handful of key locations. Okay. Last question. With Constellation's investment into Canopy, do you foresee something like this happening in the U.S.? Listen, I, I, I've said this in the media over the last three years, and, and a lot of people don't like to, to correlate those two markets together, but I never really thought it was going to be big, big tobacco coming into the marketplace. If you look at, it's called big alcohol and big cannabis, right? And if you look at big alcohol, we share the same history of prohibition. We, we, we share a very similar methodology with how manufacturing and distribution takes place because it's different and mandated on a state level. We share a lot of similarities now into how, because of recreational, of how, why the product is consumed for recreational purposes. In addition, we share a tremendous amount of similarities on how this product is marketed with lifestyle brand type marketing. Uh, being at the forefront. If I drink a Corona, you know, I feel like I'm on the beach in Baja. You're starting to see the cannabis industry to start focus on brands. If I think of our company, I think of four pillars. Pillar number one, cultivation. I need flour. Pillar number two, extraction. I need those alternate products that are becoming large parts of the market. Uh, pillar number three, I need retail and wholesale distribution. Pivot, uh, pillar number four, brand identity and brand recognition because we don't want to be a commodity provider. Commodity providers die, commodity providers disappear. We're putting a tremendous amount of effort in the brand recognition on the IVEX side and a tremendous amount of brand recognition on the Bloom side. So you're going to see a fresh look on Bloom, you're going to see a lot of social media uh, and that type of stuff that's done really around the lifestyle branding of what it means to shop and be a consumer at Bloom. So brand identity to me and brand penetration is one of the most important things. That's the beauty of being in Las Vegas. We have a chance to showcase our retail and wholesale brands, not only to the entire country, to the entire world with 45 million people coming in and out of there. So that's a really unique position to be in. And that's, you know, again, tying back to this canopy growth thing is, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect to see it this quickly. And, of course, we're seeing it in Canada because they have the lax federal laws, which we don't have down here. But if you look at the economics of the transaction, they took a 10, called it a 10% stake for $200 bucks. They paid that $2 billion valuation for a company that's doing $38.5 million, which certainly has a tremendous amount of upside. Canopy Growth is a great company. And so they made, a, you know, they made a very attractive investment, but it really gave us all an understanding of what we think is going to happen over the next several years. So in a perfect world, we may actually be getting the economics and the lobbying power behind big alcohol to open up the markets in the United States. So again, you know, I'm not going to rush off to Canada. We're, our team is going to continue to build our infrastructure and our brands in the U.S. We're going to try to penetrate as broadly and as effectively and as, as, as smart as we can and then downstream when this happens, and it's not a matter in my, from my perch of if it will happen, but now when it will happen, we want to make sure we're the standout company amongst all other companies. We're positioned for the NASDAQ or the NYSE. We have a strong balance sheet. We have significant economics, and again, most importantly to drive this home, significant brand recognition on our wholesale brands and our retail brands. If we can accomplish that, we'll just wait for the puck to come to us, and if that puck is big alcohol, great. If that puck is us standing alone on the exchanges and continuing to build out our footprint, 
great. I want to make sure we have options. And we're very, we're, we're very aggressive about this as a management team. We're not doing this for practice. We're all on the same page. We all hold common shares. We're in this to grow market cap at the end of the day. We have to issue shares now to create capital to go out and grab that market share. But that's what we're waiting for. All of us, all of us 400 shareholders that are listening to us today and the other 89,000 shareholders that we have, ourselves included, we are in this for the future of what this will be when federal legalization, that dynamic changes. And you have institutional and retail capital chasing market opportunities. And there's not going to be a ton of them. And we want to make sure they look to us as the leader, or at the very minimum, one of the leaders. So we're going to spend the next few years executing as fast and efficiently as we can. And that's our promise and that's our focus as a management team. Okay. That's it for questions. That's all you got? Yeah. Okay. Again, on behalf of the board of directors and half of the uh, officers of the company, on half of the 260 plus employees, on half of uh, on behalf of all the other people that are affiliated with the company, the 89,000 shareholders, thank you everybody for your support. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me blabber for an hour today. We look forward to filing our K, and we look forward to the implementation of recreational cannabis in California in 2018. Take care, everyone. <laughs>